Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We have beautiful, handsome guests all the way from Oklahoma, from the Go Church in Oklahoma. That stands for Global Outreach, I just learned. And let's just find out what your names are. So check, just look over there at Austin. What's your name? Raymond. Raymond? Molly, Hayden, Eli, and uh, is there anything that you would like to say to the viewing audience all the way from Oklahoma on a one and a two and a three? Go church! Go church. <laughs> They're excited. Look at that. This guy, he just went, go church. <laughs> it's awesome, you guys. Thanks for being on the show. Just step around there and watch your step. We welcome you wherever you're from. Uh, whether it's uh, here live in the audience from Oklahoma or anywhere else on live streaming video, you can go to www.hotm.tv and watch Heart of the Matter uh, live streaming from anywhere in the world. Grab your pencils and paper. We have about five announcements we're going to give you. Some of these things you're going to want to know. Are you ready? Number one, Christian Gift and Bible is going out of business. They're in Springville. If you need Christian books or gifts, oh, it's not Christian Gift and Bible. It's Gift of Grace Bible. Gift of Grace Bible in Springville. Uh, Everything is on sale. We're going to miss them. So uh, check that out if you're in the area. Secondly, if you have automotive needs, we highly recommend Affordable Automotive. The address is on the screen. Uh, Great, honest, Christian automotive work. Third, if you're in law enforcement and you're looking to converse with other Christians who are in the same field, tough field, go to www.sofu, well, it's on the screen, .net. Uh, I can never pronounce it. It's like Sofut. Sofut. Anyway, that's it on the screen. Uh, It's a site designed for anybody who's in law enforcement. That's a challenging field, no matter who you are. And for Christians in this state, it can be particularly difficult. Then... On Saturday, September 3rd, we are hosting our sixth annual Burning Heart Festival out at Murray Park and Open Water Baptism. Time from uh, 5 to 8, I'm thinking. Have to check with Derek. Bring blankets, chairs, whatever in that way of things. Subway Eat Fresh will once again provide great box lunches at a nominal, nominal, nominal price. And, and uh, Adams Road will be a plain I will be speaking. We will have open water baptisms for those of you who want to 
publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ and do it without a tie to a religion, an uh, organized religion, show up there. Finally, on October 6th, Casting Crowns is coming to town. It's a, a big Christian band. They've asked us if we would let people know that they'll be playing at a Bravenel Hall. And uh, the details are on the screen. Where to get tickets, we'll be announcing and showing little clips for that as time goes forward. Hey, we're always looking for people at uh, Aletheia Ministries to be Aletheia representatives. For instance, we have a group here in Oklahoma. Hopefully after the show, one of them will come up and say, I would like to be a representative. And that means if we get an email from somebody in Oklahoma who says, I'm LDS and I'm thinking of coming out of the church, is, can you talk to us? We would then pair them up with this person from Oklahoma, and then they can make, have a fellowship and a friendship and be able to discuss the truths of the Bible if you're thinking of leaving. So uh, if you want to be a representative, email us, Sean at Aletheia Media. If you want to meet up with a representative, email us at Sean at AletheiaMedia.com and we'll make that connection for you. How about a moment from the Word? We're back, we're back, we're back. Listen, tonight we come to chapter 20 in the book of Matthew. It opens with a parable that many people find troubling in a sense. So we're just gonna read it, ready? For the, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. At about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. This is one hour before the twelfth hour and the day ends. And said unto them, Why stand ye here idle all day? They said, Because no man's hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, when the time was come, the day was end, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last to be employed or invited into the vineyard, unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. And when the first came, they supposed that they should receive more, and they re likewise received every man a penny. And they that received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I did thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own good? With mine own, excuse me. Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Okay. This is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And in all probability, it relates both to salvation and the works people do as believers. 
Notice that in this parable, the central theme is made clear. It doesn't matter when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, when you enter into the vineyard, your reward, your salvation will be based on the householder, the Lord inviting you in, not on the work or the amount of time you spend in the vineyard. In this sense, the thief on the cross would be entitled to receive just as much as a lifelong member of the body of Christ. The first men hired in the parable to go into the vineyard, the guys in the morning who were hired to go for a penny, they represent the children of Israel. The children of Israel had an agreement with God. And so that's who they represent. In the morning, they were hired for a penny a day. They go in and they work all day long, all right? But all the other laborers who were hired at the third and the sixth and the ninth and the eleventh hour represent the Gentiles being invited to come into the kingdom. And there was no agreement that Jesus makes with them. They by faith trust that he will pay them all that is right. So at the end of the story, those who entered at the eleventh hour and were in there just for an hour are paid the exact same amount as the people who came in in the morning. This is very troubling to people who think they're earning a bunch of uh, marks or higher rewards because they have been Christians all their lives or because they think that uh, they're working their way to salvation. The point, it is his goodness that both hires us, invites us into the vineyard, and it is his goodness that determines the reward we will get, not us. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we need you, all of us, and love you, and we seek you, and we want truth. So we pray you'll open up our eyes and hearts to truth. Bless our uh, viewing audience, wherever they may be. Uh, bless our staff, our faculty, our volunteers, the people who, who devote so much time and effort to seeing this program go off successfully. And we pray for a, a good program tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to do a quick, quick reminder of what we're doing and how we're doing it and where we are in doing it. And what we're doing is we're attempting to exhaustively examine what Joseph Smith called the Book of Mormon. And we're doing it by likening the whole process to Joseph Smith growing the book from a seed. Now I'm going to come over here. And what we're calling this segment is cultivating a religious fraud. Okay? And how we're doing it is we're first talking about the necessary elements to his cultivating a religious fraud. We've talked about the ground that he starts to plant to get the seed ready. That's the early American setting he grew up in. We talk about the seed, that's Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Mac Smith, his parents, and how they concocted his thoughts and things on things. We've talked about fertilizer, that's folk magic and, and early 19th century practices, okay? And so that's where we are with the necessary elements. In the coming months, we are going to go and we're going to do uh, an analysis, actually. This one should be next. We're going to take the Book of Mormonian, once it's harvested, and we're going to show you how it is constructed. We're going to actually read from the first edition of the Book of Mormonian. And we're going to show you what Joseph said in these passages and where he borrowed from and how his work is nothing compared to sacred scripture. 
And then finally, we're going to actually go and we're going to do a taste test on the Book of Mormonian. And we're going to go verse by, chapter by chapter, these, all these chapters, and we're going to pull out the things that he stole, that he borrowed, that are plagiarisms, that are anachronisms, and we're going to decimate this thing called the Book of Mormon, okay? So, tonight we're going to go back to discussing the necessary elements and, um, that Joseph used to get the Book of Mormon, Mormonian growing, and we're going to have him actually plant the seed tonight in the ground. And which is, an, which is going to be an analysis of what he claimed were his visions. That is the vision of Moroni, an angel, telling him there is a plate buried in a hill. You're going to get that plate and actually translate it into the Book of Mormon. We're calling this the planting. Um, at this juncture, we would be wholly irresponsible if we just accepted everything the Mormon church says happened to Joseph Smith during this period. What I mean is Mormonism teaches people that Joseph first had a vision when he was 14 years of age in a sacred grove of God the Father and, the, and Jesus Christ coming to him and telling him all the churches were wrong. And then they say he had a vision three years later or so by this angel Moroni telling him about these golden plates and that it was a book that he needed to translate. An examination of these basic issues to the faith proves, listen, my friends, it proves when we examine these visions he says he had that the LDS is, is perpetrating a wholesale fabrication upon you. Uh, from the very top of the empire, down there on, on North Temple, down to the missionary flip charts, to the pictures that, that primary teachers take out of the library and show little children there of Joseph Smith having a vision of God the Father and Angel Moroni and all this stuff. It's all fiction, and we're going to prove it to you. We're going to prove it through their records. And in order to prove this, we have to go through and we have to study the chronology of the visions, uh, both the first vision of God the Father and Jesus Christ, and then the vision, supposedly, of Moroni. By telling you what the actual history and the chronology was, and revealing who the angelic personages were said to have been back then, you will know that Joseph Smith lied, and that the LDS leaders continue to lie to the world today. Now... When I was an LDS missionary, we used to sit down with people who were interested in the story of Mormonism, and we would say this. We would say, we would say, in 1820, Joseph Smith was a 14-year-old boy living in the state of New York at that time. This is verbatim. This is, I mean, it's still in my head. At that time, there was a great interest in religion, and Joseph Smith opened the Bible one day, and he turned to James 1.5. And James 1.5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. This passage struck Joseph Smith with such fervor that he decided, I'm going to ask God which church is true. So he retired to a grove of trees that day, and he went before uh, God and he prayed, and suddenly above his head, in a brightness that was above the glory of the noonday sun, God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph, and told him to join none of the churches, but that they were all corrupt. Now that is from my missionary experience dating back 25, 30 years ago. Um, it was here 
that we would teach people that Joseph saw that light, that God the Father presented himself in a body of flesh and bone. He introduced his beloved son in a body of flesh and bone, which Christians would agree with. And this is the standard tale they tell today, that Joseph Smith 14 visited in this way. So let's examine what the LDS call the first vision. First, what's really important to understand is how important the first vision is to the LDS people. In April of 1840, the seventh Mormon prophet, Heber J. Grant, said, quote, if Joseph Smith did not have that interview with God and Jesus Christ, the whole Mormon fabric is a failure and a fraud. It is not worth anything on earth. That's a quote from their prophet. Now, LDS members and defenders of their faith today say, who know the facts about the first vision, will say, well, even if it's not true, Mormonism does so much good, I'm sticking with it. It's still a great church. But you have one of their prophets saying, it's not worth anything on this earth if the first vision is not correct. Uh, Jesus didn't come to endorse a lie or, or uh, uh, support a, a deception, my friends. And so it's really important that you come to find out what that first vision was all about. Late LDS President Gordon B. Hinckley, who died while we were doing this show even, said a number of very powerful things about the first vision. So bold, in fact, that most LDS just believe his rhetoric because if someone's so bold to say those things, they think the Book of Mormon and the first vision must be true. In November of 2002, Hinckley said, quote, our whole strength relies on the validity of that vision, first vision. It, it either occurred or it did not occur. If it did not, then this work is a fraud, end quote. On page 226 of Teachings of Gordon B. Hinckley, he wrote, quote, Every claim that we make concerning divine authority, every truth that we offer concerning the validity of this work, meaning all for which Mormonism stands, all finds its roots in the first vision of that boy prophet. Hinckley continued in his book saying, the first vision becomes the hinge pin on which this whole cause, meaning Mormonism, turns. If the first vision was true, if it actually happened, then the Book of Mormon is true. Then we have a priesthood. Then we have the church organization and all of the other keys and blessings of authority which we say we have. If the vision did not occur, then we are involved in a great sham. It's just that simple. And then finally, Hinckley said, either Joseph talked with the father and the son, or he did not. If he did not, we are engaged in blasphemy. Now, here's the gig. Listen really closely, please. How are human beings, how are we, living nearly 200 years later, supposed to be able to determine whether Joseph Smith was actually visited by God the Father in a body of flesh and bones and Jesus Christ? How do you know? Think about this. The Mormon church tells all of its members that the first vision is the key to its faith. And, uh, and then it says, and they say hyperbolic stuff like, if it happened, we are the true church. And if it didn't, we are liars, essentially. But at the same time, they tell their members to turn the channel when, the, when a show like this comes on, to not go to utlm.org, to not read books that criticize or examine church history. 
They tell you to stay away from that stuff. So on one hand, they're saying the first vision will declare whether we're true or not. And on the same, with the same mouth, they say, don't search out the first vision. Now, you, you got to understand what they're doing. Please, follow along as we go over these next two weeks, because when we show you what happens with that, this first vision, you're going to know it was a scam. You'll know it. And then, according to their own prophets, the whole thing is a scam. Okay? Proving or disproving the first vision, true, is in itself very difficult. Um, it's almost impossible to prove true because Joseph Smith was the only witness to it. He, was, uh, he, he supposedly was in this place alone. Uh, secondly, if it didn't occur, it would be impossible to prove that it didn't occur. It's like me trying to tell you right now, right now, as you're listening to me, out in the Amazon, in the densest part of the forest, is a little tiny green genie. And that genie in the middle of the forest is clapping his little old hands like mad. How can you prove that I'm not telling the truth? It's not true, but how can you prove I'm lying? You can't. You're not in the Amazon in the deepest, darkest spot. You're not at the spot where the little genie's clapping his hands. So it's impossible for you to prove me wrong. You cannot prove something false wrong. It's impossible. So therefore, when they say the whole church relies on the first vision, they're saying the whole church relies on something that cannot be proven to be correct or incorrect. Do you see the scam behind it? Okay. However, there are some serious tools we can use to show that it is seriously defective. And these are them. We have the context in which the first vision was told. We have the canonicity to which we can compare the first vision to. We have the consistency of the stories uh, being told of the first vision. And we have the chronology of the first vision and when it supposedly happened or didn't. I am certain, it, like in a court of law, we will be able to discern the truth and the deception of Joseph's supposed first visions and the other visions he supposedly subsequently had. So we're going to uh, begin by first talking about how the first vision measures up to context of Joseph Smith's time, okay? Few LDS realized that in the 1820s, times were rife with spiritual excitement and that many people were claiming to have visions of Jesus Christ as a result. Many LDS don't realize this, just listen. In 1816, when Joseph Smith was only 10 years old, a minister by the name of Elias Smith out of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, wrote a book titled The Life Conversion, Teaching Travels and Sufferings of Elias Smith. In it, he wrote, I quote, I went into the woods, a light appeared from heaven. My mind seemed to rise in the light to the throne of God and the Lamb. The Lamb once slain appeared to my understanding, and while viewing him, I felt such love to him as I have never felt toward anything earthly. It is not possible to tell how long I remained in that situation, end quote. Alexander Campbell, writing uh, of the 1824 revival in the state of New York, which Joseph Smith's family participated in, said, quote, Enthusiasm flourishes. This man was regenerated in his sleep by a vision of the night. That man heard a voice in the woods saying, Thy sins be forgiven thee. A third man saw his Savior descending to the tops of the trees at noonday. Asa Wilde had a revelation published in the Wayne Sentinel in 1823, a newspaper to which the Smiths apparently subscribed. 
It said, quote, it seemed as if my mind was struck motionless as well into nothing before the awful and glorious majesty of the great Jehovah. Then he spoke. The article goes on. He also told me that every denomination of professing Christians had become extremely corrupt. Does that sound familiar to you? This is all well before Joseph Smith ever spoke, 10 years before he ever spoke of a first vision. All of these accounts and others like them predate Joseph Smith's uh, claiming he had a first vision date uh, by uh, at least 10 years. So there's the context of Joseph Smith's supposed first vision. Next week, we're going to continue on and we're going to talk about how the first vision and what Joseph claimed relates to what the Bible says about men claiming to have seen God and about Joseph Smith and how he reacted when he claimed to have seen God, uh, claims to have seen God compared to other biblical characters and how they responded when they claimed to see God. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. In the meantime, our ability to survive on television is directly related to your prayerful support. Please prayerfully, just prayerfully consider the following message. Oh, just to let you know, the testimony glove can also serve as picks if you're playing the guitar. These little oval diffs. Monson, he, he, he can be used as a very good little pick down there. So uh, if you're needing of a hand to, to play the guitar, the testimony glove, sold by Gallon Oak's second polygamous wife, uh, is available in Deseret bookstores. Run, get it, indoctrinate your children. Okay, we are going to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, anonymous caller who is LDS. Anonymous, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Hi. I wondered 
You see, you say all of these things about I'm a member. About what? I've been in one for the last 15 years. I've felt that the way the Catholic faith has been portrayed for years, I grew up Irish Roman Catholic, my friend. I believed what they used to believe in all the rhetoric and all the jazz that they used to spill you out. You, you spewing some of the same stuff I've heard for generations. I have heard these bull lonely things that you've been spewing out. Wait, these what? About the, you see, you, you're Christian. Okay, wait, Christian. You got, you're going to have to, I want you to make a central point and state it clearly, because I'm having trouble with our audio. Well, that's just the way it goes, my friend. Well, speak see, more slowly and clearly, it's okay. Like I said, I've been a member for 15 years. Yeah. I like the rhetoric. I've been a member for the 15, last 15 years of this faith. Okay. I grew up Irish Roman Catholic first and foremost. Okay. All of the stuff that you're spewing out about the church, I've heard about religions for years. Okay, you've heard yeah, it I, all. What does that mean? What are you trying to say? I don't like the way you're talking about the faith. I don't care what you like or not. You know what I like? I like truth. No, no, no. I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. I don't like your guys standing up there and telling people I love lies so that they'll continue to try to figure out the bondage they're under to go to your temple. So don't call here and tell me you don't like how I talk about your faith. I'm giving you facts. You've heard them this whole time and what have you done? This? You may be talking facts, Jack. I have given you facts. I've given you references. What do you want? Like I said, I've Okay, I can't. There's something lies. wrong. Is it me? Trash for Okay, you've got to slow down because it's not coming through. This is great. He has to well, I've slow heard and I more can than you'll ever know. I grew up with the faith. I spent eight years of my life. Okay, all this is subjective experience. Give me um, something that's real. Time I've heard their lies. Okay, I, I, I. Give me something that's real. I go out. I go out. I don't care how you grew up. You Give that. me something that's you real. Trash the religion all you want to do. I, I'm not trashing the religion. I am pointing out turn facts. Back on the faith because whatever whatever reason you turned your back on the faith twenty some odd years ago, pal, or thirty some odd years ago, it's your problem. You have the problems with that. I don't. Really? I, I enjoyed. Being Fine, enjoy it. Enjoy being enjoy a it, dude. I, I am not saying all I'm. Look, enjoy it and turn the channel. I am going to teach the truth. You can go back, put on your, your blinders, put your, your fingers in your ears, your and enjoy work. your truth, oh. your little fiction. You know, there's people who go to Disneyland, the and they live in that place because they just lies for generations. What? I've heard lies been told about them. You're hearing them. It's done nothing, obviously. They're not lies. I don't care what you say. I know you don't care what I say. More, dude. This is what I'm trying to point out to you. God himself. Because Could your ignorance and your stupidity. Okay, my stupidity, fine. What I've heard I am talking about facts. Show me. Show, wait, wait, wait. Let's stop. 30 Show, years. Wait, wait. 33 years. And I know years. the truth when I hear it. Listen. Listen. Right. No, listen. You listen no, to me. No, you listen to me. We're going to fight. No. Dude, listen to me. I'm asking you. I have an answer for that, pal. I'm asking you to please. I Okay, isn't it ridiculous? Listen, give me a fact. Give me something I've said that is factually wrong. He hung up. Dang, I wanted to hang up on him. We're going to Carl in West Valley. First time caller. Carl, you're on Heart of the Matter.
Uh, hi, Sean. Hey, Carl. Uh, my name is Carl, and uh, I have a question that's kind of been I've been kind of wondering about. Uh, when Joseph Smith uh, first went into grove, to the grove to pray, he had read in the Bible something. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Yeah. And uh, I was just wondering. Uh, he was like only 14 years old at that time, right? Right. Well, they. Uh... And, We'll talk about the chronology, but that's what they say, yeah. Okay, and I was just wondering if when he went into the grove to pray, was he actually sincerely looking for a church to join? Yes, according to In their... the process of concocting this uh, wild story at that time. Well, well here's the problem, uh, Carl. When we go back, and, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here, but in the next two weeks, when we go back, we are going to show you that there was no first vision, that it was made up retroactively. There was no 14-year-old boy going to, the, going to the grove to pray. The very, the, I see. Yeah, the first vision actually was Joseph saying an angel came to him and talked to him about the golden plates. Uh -huh. so, so this is what we're leading up to. So, but according to their story that they tell people now, yes, Joseph wanted to know which church to join when he was 14 and sincerely went to the grove to ask, and that's when God appeared to him. But uh, if you read the Bible and understand the, the New Testament, you know there isn't a church that you join. That's the problem with the whole premise. The question was faulty from the beginning. So, but it was retroactively constructed, and we can prove that. And this is the whole problem with their story of the first vision. I see. Yeah. Makes so much more sense. Yeah. Uh, I just want you to know that uh, my wife and I watch you every Sunday, or I mean every, every Tuesday, <laughs> and uh, we love what, you're, what you have to present, and just keep up the good work. Thanks, Carl. God bless you, my brother. But God bless you, too. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, we're going to go to AJ in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. AJ, you're on Heart of the Matter. AJ? Hi. Hi, you're on the air. This is confusing me. Okay, I'm watching you on TV. This is confusing me. Yeah, you got to turn your TV down. Uh, okay, my son and I are, uh, are both Christians, okay? Uh-huh. And we, uh, we, we've been discussing this thing. It's been, been kind of uh, confusing us for a while. Him and I are both able to, to sense feel, uh, sometimes even see uh, spirits, you know, people that have, you know, been gone for sometimes even a long time. All right. Because you, because you can tell, you know. And we, we know, us being Christians, we know there's heaven and there's hell. So my sons and I wonder, we know that's true, why, uh, you know, why, why are they still, why are they still around? Well, you know, all I can tell you is what I've been taught. And uh, I don't know, I don't understand a lot of the uh, metaphysical claims that, that happen. I don't, I don't understand uh, your experience in those. But what, what I was taught is that when a spirit apparition appears, it is only demonic. Because if it is uh, absent from the body and not present with the Lord, it is in hell. And if it's absent from the body and oh. present with the Lord, then it would have no reason or purpose oh. of coming back to earth. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense because it's never been anyone that was in our family, anything like that. It's just been, you know, just... Yeah, it's, stra it's strange, isn't it? Well, that's helped us tremendously because we've been, you know, we've been going over this and over this and... 
you know, wondering, you know, wondering why. And, you know, okay, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, thanks for calling and watching, AJ. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay. I'm going to tell you a true story. This is where they're going to put me over in the nut bin. I'm maybe five years old. I, I'm in my parents' house. I'm on my bed, and it's morning, and I'm looking down the hall, and out of the bathroom comes a woman. And she's wearing a yellow nightgown, and her hair is all curly, and her arms are just hanging, and I'm laying there. I'm awake, and I watch her, and she just looks at me, and her face is very large, and her face is flat, and... Uh, she goes back into the bathroom, and then my sister gets up and goes into the bathroom, my older sister, to go to Mormon Early Morning Seminary. Honest to goodness. It's on a road called Canelo Road in Whittier, California. So I tell nobody about it. I get up, and on, on my life I go. Years and years, decades and decades later, I learned from my parents when I recited that story, when everyone was telling, uh, talking about things they've seen, that... Prior to my parents buying that house, an L.A. County sheriff came home from work. He grabbed his wife, who was wearing curlers, ripped them out of her hair, and shot her to death in the bathtub of that bathroom. And I have no idea. I had no idea that, and I don't know what that thing was I saw. It didn't scare me, but I know I saw it. Now, I, so when we start talking about these apparitions and things, I assign it to what I gave, uh, the answer I gave to AJ, that probably from a very dark place, I don't know why, but I don't discount them completely because I personally have one, I've never had one since, I don't see dead people, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a seer, I was a little boy and I saw it. So, sign it up to what it is. We're going to Ben in Philadelphia, PA. Ben, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, how you doing, man? Good, how are you doing? Good. All right, uh, I was wondering if you think this is a possibility. Um, the Bible alone, you know, can obviously refute that Joseph Smith was visited by God and all, but do you think it's a possibility that Satan visited Joseph? Because Mormons teach, uh, like, they teach that the Bible can't be trusted, and uh, that's what Satan said, and they also teach that men can become gods, like, like yeah. wanted to become a god. So, uh... It's a really good question, Ben. I defer to Sandra Tanner, who knows a lot more about this stuff than I do. And I also think it's true after having read recently a lot of things about the first vision. And, and I think that uh, Joseph Smith was a con man from the get-go. And okay. I, I, I would like to, I used to believe that possibly Satan influenced him. And I think Satan does influence people, but not necessarily in a visionary way. And I think the case was Joseph Smith when we look at the facts of the so-called so first vision, we'll see that whole thing was made up, and, uh, and the angel, Moroni, and all that stuff, and its ties to cultic magic, all that. I think he was a con man, and he learned the con from his dad. Okay, so you just think he was a con man? Yep. All together, like... he himself could not believe people's response to his con, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. Okay. That's my thought, Ben. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. All right, well... Uh, either way, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Thanks for watching out there in Philadelphia. Hey, uh, uh, can I say one more thing? Yeah. Um, I think Thomas Monson needs to come on your show. Thomas, you have an open invitation. We'll buy new furniture. We'll have a hair dryer and a little salon for you over there. Uh, we'll get you a tray of fruit, and I'll treat you with respect. Come on the show, Thomas. 
Uh, we'll pay you. We'll pay you to come on the show. I think he's scared. Oh, absolutely. He's, he, it's not scared of me. He is scared of someone confronting him with the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think he could stand up to you. <laughs> I don't know. He might, but I invite it. I invite any general authority of the LDS Church. They won't do it. The BYU professors who call themselves apologists. I invite Daniel Peterson who gets online and just smokes everybody with uh, vitriolic lines. I invite him on the show. I invite Bob Millett on the show. I invite Stephen Robinson on the show. Any of those guys on the show. They won't come because they know we have the facts and they have to answer truthfully and they can't spin because we're not going to let them spin and so they don't come on. Amen. And you know what else? I'll tell Thomas Monson I will pay for his gas money to get to your show. Excellent. Excellent. We're going to send you a bill. Pay the gas money. It'll be for about it'll be for about 98 cents, but we're sending you the bill. Yes. All right, my friend. Thanks for watching. Tell your friends. All right. All right, Sean. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, bye. We're going to David in Brampton, Canada. First time caller. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. Hey, you're on the air, man. Um, uh, I just wanted, first of all, to say thanks uh, for your show. It's been a huge blessing to me. It's really oh. helped to witness the Mormons here in Canada. You're welcome. Uh, um, uh, my question is not totally related to the content you, that you just presented now, but it, it's a question that, that's really been uh, bothering me. Um, it's in regards to the LDS, uh, the LDS Church's position on the theory of evolution. Um, I went on Mormon.org, and they really didn't say much about it. Okay, stop for one minute, David. Someone translate. Talk louder, David. We're having a problem with line two again. Our high-tech equipment here at TV20 is failing us. Line two. Sorry about that. Um, I guess it's because of... On evolution. Evolution. You know, they're kind of split. Uh, they're kind of split. Joseph Fielding Smith and I think David O. McKay were in one camp. Guys like uh, Hubie Brown and uh, some others were in another camp. I think uh, they really take a very benign approach uh, to uh, evolution and the theories of it. Some, uh, now, some were extremely strong against it in the early days when they were a little bit more militant. But today, uh, in its nascent beginnings, the church was kind of uh, strong against anything like that. But today, I think they're much more open to, not like most Christian apologists, they're much more open to the idea of evolution. I believe in evolution completely. I just don't believe we came from a pond scum or from an ape. I believe we were created Adam and Eve's story, but I do believe in evolution. Uh, so that's my position, but I think the Mormon church kind of takes an even softer approach. Okay. Um, you recall if, um, when you were LDS, was theistic evolution even possible to believe in as a Mormon? Do I recall hearing that? Sorry? Did you say, do I recall learning that? Yeah, do you recall, like, like within like, the Mormon church back then, if, if it was possible for a Mormon to believe in evolution? Uh, I think, yeah, they're liberal enough that as long as you don't attack the church and you're a good uh, member and a good standing, I think you can believe in theistic evolution, even evolution itself. They're not going to excommunicate you for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Which will, which will certainly undergird their continued growth in the world uh, because, you know, the world more and more turns to that, and I think they will appeal, appeal to their... Uh, to people who have the premise that, yeah, we evolved from, from pond scum or something. They do embrace the Adam and Eve story. I can't lead you down a path that says they don't.
but they uh, they do they're much more liberal in their scientific melding uh, than most uh, uh, evangelical Christians are. Interesting. Okay. Hey, thanks for watching out there in Canada. Take care. God bless, my friend. Bye bye. Uh, Dean in Fort Worth, Texas. What caller is Dean? Do we know? Here we go. And Dean is a second time. All right. We're going to hold on with the second time callers. Uh, listen, this is from uh, Karen. The reason the lectures on faith, those are teachings of Joseph Smith, were removed from the Doctrine and Covenants, which is uh, sacred scripture to the Mormons, is because it stated within it that there were two members of the Godhead, not three. We're going to see that the first vision Joseph gave, it carried weight for him in his mind for a while about explaining God, his story of the first vision. Then he changed to be more uh, monotheistic, Sabellianism he, he started to endorse. Then he started to uh, endorse by, uh, binatarian, uh, which is just two, which is what this is saying. And then he went to uh, polytheism, which is when he was killed. So Joseph progressed in his thinking toward God and his makeup over the course of his life to where the end he was saying, we're going to become gods ourselves. Uh, so it's really something. All right. Uh, listen, just a reminder, heart of the matter, little flyers. You can go to uh, www.bornagainmormon.com. You can uh, cl uh, click on get a flyer and uh, you can just print these things, cut them in half and give them to your friends. Let them know about the show. From John, he wants to know where our podcasts are. We're working on it, John. We're trying to get them together. Phil Trivet in the UK, he says, um, I wanted to make an observation on a caller you had last week. A woman called in and denied all you were saying about the church. A lady then called in and said both you and that woman were correct and were speaking truth because the woman had not been taught the deep doctrines of Mormonism, and therefore she thought that she was speaking the truth. Uh, the point I want to make is that once again, this is a link between Mormonism and Freemasonry. Masonry also holds the understanding that women cannot receive whole truths which male Masons can. A woman is not capable of grasping them, and that is why there are no female Freemasons. This is what I was told by a Freemason who came to Christ. There are female orders that are connected to the Grand Lodges, but even the Masons see them as a social club for women, similar to the Relief Society that was branched off for the women folk back in the early days. So it is another historic reason why women would defend so resolutely the LDS against your program because they have not heard a lot of what you are talking about, and that's why you have a hard time with women callers. I think I have a hard time with women callers because they're pernicious. They're tenacious on their points. And they don't give up like, like that other guy did. It's another Masonic link to the LDS. We want to thank um, Philip uh, out in the UK for that. Uh, what is your opinion of Joseph Prince and the New Creation Church? I don't know anything about modern-day evangelical Christians. I have heard some good things. And as long as he sticks to the basics, uh, you know, I think he's gifted probably and talented. And if he's teaching the basics and truth, biblical truths, stand behind them. Um, Douglas points out the November 20, 2010 handbook of the LDS states that the woman can now 
be sealed to all husbands she has had in this life. It used to be that only the men could have all their wives sealed to them. Now, in 2010, the handbooks say that women can also continue to keep all the husbands she has been sealed to in her life. They are saying it's because they are giving her a choice in the afterlife to see who she wants. This is, uh, let's see, we have uh, Glenn in Star Valley, Wyoming. Glenn, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, how you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. It's about that woman that called earlier about spirits. It says we're supposed to stay away from necromancers and talking with the dead and stuff like that, you know. It yeah. is the demonic. Uh, well, she didn't say she talked to him. She just said she, she has visions. She sees, well, maybe she did say she talked to him. Yeah, she said she talked to him. She had visions. That's bad stuff. I mean, you should stay away from that. Stay uh, away from that. I agree. Yeah. A little story. When I was about five, two, uh, coincidentally enough, it was Christmas Eve, and I thought I saw Santa Claus. <laughs> we can dream up this stuff in their mind. You can. I admit you can. I'm not saying I for certain saw that woman, but I think I did. Well, you could have dreamed it, too, you know. Could have dreamed it. <laughs> oh, and, uh, about that earlier call, you had that guy pretty worked up. Yeah, that's uh, fun for one me. I want to see you invite on your show. Yeah, because exactly. It would be like the WWF wrestling match. That's right. <laughs> Doctrinal wrestling. John. What's that? God bless you. God bless you, Glenn. Oh. You take care, my friend. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, this says, this is from Doug. I watch your show for several years now. I have two ministries I oversee, and I'm also an ex-Mormon. As a brother in Christ and in love, we are to correct our brethren when they start to miss doctrinal marks. Now, don't get your feathers in a bunch, Sean. Here is what I see you doing. First, we are told that when we accept Christ, we are to be separate from the world, to stay away from all appearances of evil. Why do I bring this up? Recently, you had given advice that even if you're born again, there's no harm in staying in the LDS church. I disagree with this. Jesus separated himself from the Pharisees. That's a non sequitur point. Okay? He didn't go along and then quietly say things behind them. You need to call those who have found the truth out of Mormonism, Islam, or Hinduism. One show you did on this, you stated that you felt that you could be, there could be born-again people in those religions, and I had to turn you off. He concludes, search yourself Watch your shows that relate to this. I know at times when speaking we say things we shouldn't. Go back and correct yourself. While I am far from perfect, I appreciate it when people in the ministry correct me when I get a little off target. Well, if you appreciate that, let me speak to you. Um, we trust in a living God. We have people of all walks and cultures who are born in Mormonism, whose grandparents and parents and brothers and sisters, employers are LDS. And they become babes in Christ when they receive Christ. And the Holy Spirit moves in them. And what you are saying is that they need to get out right now. That's dogmatism. And all it does is remove God's Holy Spirit working in them and how he's going to do it and extract them and puts it in man's hands. Who are you to say when someone needs to depart from a faith and when they shouldn't? In Muslim countries, the people have no choice. They're born-again Christians. They have no choice but to participate in Muslim activities. 
we can almost say the similar thing occurs here. Let me tell you something. If a person is truly born again, they cannot stay in the LDS church forever. The Holy Spirit will tell them, get out. I don't need to do it, and neither do you, Mr. Dogma. So I don't care if you have 50 ministries and you're calling in love to not ruffle my feathers, you're wrong. We preach Christ. We seek for people to receive him. What they do thereafter will come to them as they mature in Christ. That happens through teaching the word and by love and long-suffering and patience and understanding it's a process. So please, evangelicals, get off your damn high horses about you have to do things like this right now, okay? Gosh, when we, when's this stuff going to stop? Okay, uh, what is your take on the possible release of a movie based on the book Under the Banner of Heaven? That's by John Krakauer. It's a, a movie, it's a book that was written that ties in polygamy to a, a real story about the Lafferty brothers who, uh, who killed a girl claiming it was direct revelation to kill her because she was going against the patriarchal order of the family. And uh, what do I think about it? I think that if it's done right and it's done well and it's with uh, real history, I think it can be beneficial in opening people's eyes to what genuine Mormonism was uh, back in the early days. I mean, the Lafferty brothers essentially were playing out all the doctrines that were taught in the early church. And while they may not have been following the living prophet today, uh, they were following one that they said can't be, that, you know, can't be trumped. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, they followed their advice. You know, slit the throat of somebody and all this other stuff. So I know it can do damage. If it's not done right, it'll be ugly, but there it is. Um, anonymous again. He's called back. Round two. Mr. Anonymous. Yeah, hi again. How's it going? Well, I've calmed down. How about you? Oh, I'm fine. Hey, dude, I want you to do yourself a favor. Lay off the Freemasons. They have nothing to do with the Mormons. Hey, why don't you do yourself a favor and change the channel? Hey, I've got a right to be heard and to see you like you say. You've got a right to be speaking your mind. How about, how about listening to some facts, Anonymous, Mr. Brave Anonymous? Why don't you give us your name? I stand up here. I'm Sean McCraney. I live in Huntington Beach. Well, who are you, Anonymous? I've lived in this world long enough to know snow job when I've seen them. Really? What's the snow job? Give me a fact. Oh, you want to know what a snow job is? Give me a fact. Not an opinion, a fact. You are a snow job, dude. <laughs> well, that's a, <laughs> that probably is a fact. You see uh, <laughs> where are, who they are. Dude, you don't have no right to bash on the Freemasons. Don't dare. Okay. Oh. First of all, now. now, wait, you, you, you bring up another thing, which is what you guys do, the Freemasons. You don't think yes. all the handshakes... They are. You have no right to trash talk them. You don't think the handshakes at the Freemasons... They free are. You have no idea that the Freemasons belong to the church. Do you, do you... They've been a Catholic faith for years. I beg to differ. <laughs> Freemasons... Oh, you can laugh all you want, tubby. I didn't laugh. The guy in the audience did. <laughs> don't lie to me, man. I can see your... Right. Hey, Anonymous, will you please say something that has some, just some teeth to it, please? Oh. So we can talk? Like I said, lay off the Freemasons. Okay, I'll lay off the Freemasons. Is there something, you want to say Joseph was a prophet? Yeah, I know he was a prophet. You know he was? I don't okay. care if you say, you guys, if he's a huckster or a con man, but I know a snow job like you think you are. You think you're so smart, pal, you ain't smart at all. 
and note this. Hey, smart guy. I don't, I don't think I'm smart. People at the Council of Nicaea who have been disenchanted by the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> Look at you. Co you're covering everything you can. You're not doing your church a good service here. I don't so care what, what, why don't you just... I don't have to do my faith any service and justice. You don't? No, I don't have to. Why? Because it's none of your business why I would do this. Aggravate people like you because I love to annoy and piss people off like you. Hey, I, you're not annoying me. You're not pissing me off either. Hey, you want to come on the show? You think you're so smart, pal. You ain't got a snowball chance to tell. You want to come on the show? Just a little food for thought, pal. What if the Mormon faith is the real faith when the time comes, pal? You won't be able to stop it when it's the truth, pal. And when this is, <laughs> pal, you ain't, gonna you ain't got a snowball chance at hell or prayer in hell, pal. This is just too close. I can't, I can't. Hey, I, I'm not, it's hard when you don't have a name. Are the most of them Listen, will you stop just talking to me like this? Tell me you're gonna get, get. listen, One come on. The little secret is. What's the secret? Give me a secret. Did you hang up again? I feel like I'm home with my mother-in-law of this. I, you know, I'm kidding, kidding, Dadder. I love you. Hey, listen, Harry, he writes, Sean, it's an absolute shock to see the difference in your appearance in the 2007 till now. My wife and I have been watching you for at least five months, and this is the first time we have seen you dressed and with your haircut. We showed a clip last year, last week, that showed me in 2007, and I was nicely cut and trimmed and Go back to that appearance. You will certainly impress more people than with your hippie look. You are more believable. I am more believable to who, uh, Harry? Those who already believe, the people who believe in Christ and they have matured in Christ, I'm more uh, favorable to them. Listen, John writes, uh, hey, I want to say the long-haired freaky Sean is much better than the squeaky clean shaven Sean, just my two cents. And, uh, and, R8R Fanazine says, uh, I dig the locks. It reminds me of 11 long-haired friends of Jesus in a chartreuse microbus. So let me tell you something. We reach people that we want to reach. We reach people who don't really look on the outward appearance necessarily, or if they do, they like this, because they're the ones who have such trouble in this state. I could get on here and look like a, a missionary. I could get on here and try to appeal to the Christian community that I am so smart and good in that way. I want to appear to the people who have hearts kindred to mine, and that is they love the Lord, they don't care about culture, they don't care about what you think of them. Join us next week as we decimate the first vision. See you then.